Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek Podcast. We are in Cannes for the Cannes Lion International Festival of Creativity. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creativity editor at Adweek. Uh, and I'm really excited. Uh, we have got the team from Nike and Wyden and Kennedy that worked on the Breaking 2 project, which I have to say is, for those who have not heard about it, we will be describing it, but it's one of the most ambitious marketing and marketing-adjacent uh, stunts project. I can't, now that one I can't call a stunt, uh, but uh, it is definitely a ambitious project. Uh, and so we will be talking about that and the lessons that were learned. Uh, but first, let's go around the table. We've got uh, three folks here uh, who were involved. And I'm sorry, I, I forgot to say Dirty Robber as well from production side of it. So we've got so many, uh, we've got pretty much like there were, I'm guessing, hundreds, if not thousands of people <laughs> involved in this project. Uh, but I'm really glad that we've got the three of you here to represent uh, the major the major players that made this happen. Uh, so let's just go around and introduce yourselves. Tell us about your role. I'm Mark McCambridge. I'm a brand comms director for Nike. And I was uh, part of the project from the very beginning, uh, looking at content and capture uh, narrative and uh, the eventual documentary partnership with Nat Geo. I'm Eric Baldwin. I'm the executive creative director of the Portland office. And I'm Jason Puris. I'm the executive producer at Dirty Robber and of uh, Breaking Two. All right. Well, let's dive right into this. Uh, Mark, you can tell us the premise, I, I guess the idea and what w- what the goal was to accomplish. And then we'll talk in a minute about uh, about the the progress that was made toward that goal. But tell us the goal. The goal, I'm, I'm, we looked at this as a moonshot of human potential. So can a human being run a marathon in under two hours, which uh, many people thought was impossible, um, in the end, uh, we narrowly missed the result. Uh, so Elliot Kipchoge finished in two hours and 25 seconds. Uh, but it <laughs> certainly, it certainly proved that the moonshot, um, is possible. So, uh, audacious, audacious goal and, uh, incredible result. I, I will say this, that every time I try to explain this project to someone like, uh, my parents, uh, no offense, mom, if, if you're listening, it's like, but they, you explain this to someone, they always ask me the first, the same question, right? Was, why didn't they just run it again? So the, the difficulty um, in, in getting to t- even under two hours and one minute uh, was substantial. Uh, there's uh, within the Nike family and w- outside of the Nike family, there was a team of, as you mentioned, uh, hundreds, if not thousands of people that touched this uh, from science and engineering, uh, products, nutrition. Uh, we worked with some of the best statistical modelers of weather in the world uh, to try to find the optimal place and time to actually execute this attempt. Uh, so having all the factors line up to make the attempt uh, was statistically uh, kind of an incredible moment. Um, and, and what Elliot was able to do on the day was also uh, pretty spectacular. Eric, tell us uh, before we kind of get in the weeds of what it took 
to get there. Tell us about the role of the agency in this. This is not at all a traditional creative assignment. Uh, tell us when you were brought in. What? When did Widen become part of this? What was there a brief? <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, you know, um, Nike had come up with this idea and brought it brought it to us to help them sort of brand it and then tell the story out to the rest of the world. So there was a brief on it. Um, we were just excited about it because we love the fact that. Um, it, it was an audacious goal and that they, that this could fail. And that felt like a really brave thing for, for Nike to come out and do. And uh, tell us, uh, Jason, about the production uh, challenges of this one. I, I'm sure there are many. They are legion. But tell us uh, kind of when you first heard the scope of this project, what, what were your first thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, like Mark, we started capturing the content before we actually knew what it was. Uh, we were standing in a wind tunnel at the University of New Hampshire two years ago. We knew that there, you know, it could be this, it could be that. So we were involved with capturing content before we knew what it was. So there were challenges inherent in that, uh, in that we needed to, you know, capture it generally, but also make sure that you know we're have we have enough gold to sort of deliver when we have to put things together. I, I guess a maybe this is a somewhat uh, basic question because you would think the answer is like why would you climb a mountain because it's there? But why tackle this in the first place? So I think when we we were talking around this in, in many roundtable discussions, um, but what it boils down to is we're fascinated with round numbers, right? So the importance of running a 10 second under a 10 second 100 or breaking four minutes in the mile um, across sport. And this is the, the hundred point game, right? In basketball or, or a no hitter, or a, a shutout, these, these things we fixate on. Um, and within the running world, there's, there's very few holy grails of numerical achievement that still exist. And within the Nike world, um, obviously we're, we're a company that's, deeply rooted in running all the way back to the beginning. And, and this is something that uh, internally there were champions that were very, very passionate about trying to take this on. Um, but it was kind of a crazy, crazy goal. There's no doubt about that. Now, you know, I'm, I'm guessing most people realize it is more complicated than this, but the, but the answer, the solution is not just find someone who can run real fast because you guys started with a team of people who can run very fast for very long distances. Um, but tell us about some of the obstacles just out of the gate that you knew would have to be overcome to get to this kind of speed. So, I mean, if you look at the numbers, the the fast, the, the existing uh, record in the marathon is two hours, two minutes and 57 seconds. Uh, so it's actually dropping seven seconds per mile uh, off of the existing world record pace. Um, and physically, uh, within the realm of uh, elite marathon runners from around the world, um, even just trying to find people who could maintain 434 mile pace uh, for that long was something that uh, it narrowed us down to three guys that we felt could do it. So there's um, then looking at the, the physical location, like where is the optimal place to do this? We ended up settling on a, a Formula One racetrack in Monza, Italy, uh, which is probably not anyone's uh, first idea. There was questions around: Should we run it in a straight line, for example? Should we run it uh, sub, you know, sub-zero elevation? Uh, there's a number of theories out there, um, but it was an exhaustive research process to land on where was the best place to run it, and then what was the best time uh, to run it. So there was quite a, a number of factors. Um, and then finally, the and sort of the linchpin of the whole thing was the teamwork and pacing that it took to actually get uh, the runners to maintain that pace. So an existing marathon running, not to go too inside baseball, but 
uh, in existing marathon running, pacers usually drop off around halfway through the race. And there's no one that can pace the entire race. Obviously, if they could, uh, two hours would have been broken on a, a major marathon course. So trying to find the right balance and orchestration of bringing in a bunch of pacers uh, to be able to drive that ruthless pace for two hours uh, was also quite a delicate exercise. And we should be clear, would this, um, would this record have counted in <laughs> so the the marathon course was ratified. Uh, so it was an official. It would it was a record eligible course, but it would not have counted because of a couple of rules within uh, the complex and uh, tortuous rule book um, of marathon running. One of which is pacing. Uh, so having pacers come into the course after the race is started, and the other is hydration. So actually handing off. Uh, water to athletes as they're in motion versus having them pick it up off a table, which uh, those are the two things that would have kept it from being uh, an official record. Eric, do you think it would have mattered to you as as a marketing victory? Does it matter if this becomes a a legitimate record or is would it have been enough of a victory? Uh, yeah, I think it would. It, it it was enough of a victory because really the the whole point of it was to to find you know the the limits to human potential. So seeing that um and just the again the audaciousness of of trying to complete this task i think that was the that was the win in this thing jason let's talk about from the production side i'm curious to know more about how you even begin i mean this is I, just documenting one marathon would be a pretty logistically heavy production exercise i'm assuming i how many countless miles were run over the course of this project uh, how did you even begin staffing this budgeting this i mean just all the logistics are, are boggling to the mind i mean for you know we used a very small doc crew to cover most of the non-marathon stuff for the marathon attempt itself we worked with a group called uncle toad media group uh and they are experts in in live so they had the chorus itself sort of wired and covered from every angle. Plus we had a camera car obviously following them. And then we also had that small dock crew in to sort of get like the, the beauty images, the stuff that uncle toad was doing ended up being the live stuff that was going out, uh, over Twitter. We were able to take all of that footage and ultimately use it in the hour long dog that we did for Nacho though. And, and if I remember right, this was all live streamed, correct? Uh, everyone's nodding, so I'll take that as a yes. Um, but uh, Mark, tell me about not to kind of jump to the conclusion here, but when when you re- when you when you found out that you know, I guess at the moment that you you get that final number and you're so close but didn't quite make it, what what was that feeling like for you? So uh, I was in the live broadcast booth, and we knew probably one lap, with one lap to go, that it was uh, nearly impossible for Elliot to pick up the pace to actually cover uh, and cross under the the two the two hour mark. Um, and it was a mix of of sadness for him, uh, you know, to have an athlete do something. Uh, the equivalent is hard to put a put a comparison to, but if LeBron scored 100 points or 99 points in a game seven uh, and still lost, right, it would be that type of admiration and, and respect uh, and awe, I think, uh, at the end. Um, and I, I know the director of the documentary was crying uh, when Elliot crossed the line. I, I don't know that there was a person in the, the audience live that didn't feel an overwhelming sense of awe. 
you know, I think we were actually talking at lunch today about this. I think the fact that he was only 25 seconds short is a huge difference than if he was five minutes short, you know? And I think, you know, I think people may have been crying then, but I think when you see it all come together, you realize, wow, what he did is impossible. I, if I remember right, Eric, I guess this one's more for you, is when we covered this before the event, uh, there seemed to be a, a pretty – everyone was optimistic, but I feel like there was still a certain uh, realism that, you know, yeah, we might not do this. How would you describe uh, the mindset of the team uh, going into this? Um, <clears throat> you know, I think I think the team was just excited to be a part of it because it was such a monumental thing that, that Nike wanted to do. Um, and I think, you know, that feeling of whether, whether they make it or not wasn't as important, uh, to the team, even just because they knew that they were going to be a part of something that was, you know, would, is, is, it's a historical event, you know, frankly, because he he did come so close to, to, to breaking it. Mark, I, I'm so glad you're here because you can feel the obnoxious question that agency people get asked all the time, especially at can is, did it sell shoes? Uh, the answer to that question is yes. Yeah, we uh, there was a there was a technology that was in development uh, in in concert with this project um, that has actually um, taken home a a very very large quantity of victories in road races in the last year. Um, so the the project itself was a springboard for uh, a technology platform that is currently in market. Uh, the Zoom X phone, uh, which you can actually now find in a number of different uh, consumer available products, um, which I won't go on to hawking at this point, because <laughs> uh, that's just fundamentally against the spirit of this project. But yes, it is. Uh, it is something that has uh, has sold a, a fair number of shoes. For but me. would you say that was a motivation going in? I mean, no. I, I mean, I suppose I should say yes, but the actual <laughs> motivation was. Um, was truly to see if if someone was physically and mentally capable of of running at those speeds and um, and achieving the moonshot of of two hours. Um, I think if we if we looked at this exclusively as an opportunity to sell more shoes, we probably would have taken a different approach. Yeah, I will, I'll say as a marathon runner myself, and you know when I've crossed the line at a couple half marathons recently, and I've seen people wearing those shoes, I'd be like, hey, you know, how do you like those four percent? So like. Wow, I just PR'd by five minutes. You know, so it's real. It's amazing. And you guys also just worked on a campaign around the four percents, right? With the uh, with Lena Waith. Yeah, we did. It's called Shoe Therapy. Uh, Lena Waith was the shoe therapist. Uh, Shalane Flanagan, who had won the New York City Marathon, uh, is it is it about a dream that she had that the night before the marathon, someone had dream. stolen her shoes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so the, that, that's fascinating that it really did, even the, even though that wasn't necessarily the primary motivation, that it did have a product benefit and a sales benefit. I, I guess to that point, Mark, what do you think is the lesson here for brands? I feel like there's two questions I want to have in that one. One is what's the lesson of trying things this ambitious? Well, so the, the lesson on trying things this ambitious is it's great when it works out. Um, and in this instance, as a, as a human story, as an opportunity to look at what humans are capable of, it it was exceptionally successful. Um, and I think the the reality is, people, if we look at the broader consumer, the person we're trying to connect with as a as a sport brand, uh, people want reasons to believe that we're capable of doing incredible things. So even in uh, in technical or 
Um, if you get into the exact numerical uh, value of this race, it was looked at as not successful. Um, the, the response to the attempt was overwhelmingly positive, and it continues to actually um, to have positive effect. So looking at Breaking 2 as a, as a brand, um, I think it's something that has uh, given us a very, very strong position um, to continue to try to, to look at what humans are capable of. And um, obviously, where, where can we go from there? And, and this is a related question. I'll kind of open this up to anybody. But is, is this – I think what a lot of us who followed this project were fascinated by was the, the idea of what you can learn from failure, uh, from coming in short. Uh, Eric, from the, from the agency perspective, what did you what, – what do you think your team learned from this? Uh, because – Every marketer wants their projects to work. You know, you want you want everything to be succeed, but every marketing campaign's a gamble, right. unless it's just like a one big media buy. Yeah, I think I think from our perspective, we always try to encourage everybody that we work with to take as many shots as they can, and um, and you never know which one's gonna which one's gonna stick and which one's gonna really resonate with people. I, I think from our perspective, you know, we don't think of this as a as a um, a failure at all, be just because of the way the response, uh, the response um, to to the to the event, um, it seemed you know people people enjoyed it, and I, I feel like you know it, it, the residual effect is there. Whether or not that exact um, project was successful or not, I don't think really really matters. So, Mark, I guess the obvious question too is, what's next? We're uh, we're always on on the hunt for new ways to explore human potential. I'll put it that. But you don't think you'll do breaking two two. I, uh, my, my personal opinion is it's highly unlikely. Yeah. I think we're, we're looking for ways to maximize, uh, the possibility of breaking records on the road. Um, and I think actually the, the very positive thing is we've seen major marathons around the world start to reconsider, uh, certain factors in their own courses, uh, or their approach to racing or pacing, uh, that seem to be very informed by breaking two. And if a competitor pulls off a similar stunt, which they have been attempting. Um, how will you feel if they, if they somehow find a way to make it work? I'd, I'd feel great. I mean, this, this is a, you know, opportunity for us to see what people are capable of. Uh, so I would, I would tip my proverbial hat. <laughs> well, thank you so much guys. And uh, enjoy the rest of can. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Thank you. All right. We'll be back with uh, more uh, content uh, and uh, from Can, and then uh, we'll be rounding up all the biggest winners uh, when we're back in New York. So thanks everyone for tuning in.